Social Ventures Australia brings you this podcast from the SVA Quarterly, sharing insights from SVA's work and from across the social sector. Hello, my name is Pat Boland and I'm part of the Impact Investing team at SVA. In this audio, I'll be looking at the approach to addressing homelessness known as Housing First and asking the question, given the growing body of evidence backing the Housing First approach, including the recent evaluation of the Aspire Social Impact Bond, why has it not been funded and adopted more extensively across Australia? This audio is based on an article titled Housing First, the challenges of moving from pilot to policy published in the SVA quarterly. The article provides links to all of the source material supporting the facts and figures referenced throughout this audio. Homelessness is a significant and complex issue that is often met with fragmented and inadequate responses. In 2016, the Australian Bureau of Statistics estimated that the population of people experiencing homelessness in Australia was over 116,000, with around 8,200 people sleeping rough on census night. The COVID pandemic catalyzed unbudgeted funding for homelessness services from state government, which mainly consisted of emergency accommodation for rough sleepers. Some state governments also funded supports to transition these individuals into longer term housing, for example, Together Home in New South Wales and From Homelessness to Home, otherwise known as H2H, in Victoria. However, much more needs to be done to end homelessness in Australia. There are solutions to addressing and eventually ending homelessness. The Centre for Social Impact put forward five key policy actions in a report released earlier this year. One specific action is the adoption of Housing First supported models of care which have increasingly been trialled in Australia. In this audio, I'll be looking at what the Housing First approach is, the findings of evaluations of this approach, including outcomes achieved and why this approach works, and then explores why these pilots haven't yet become standard policy. Three big challenges are explored in this article. Firstly, the disconnect between cost centres and the savings centres for homelessness services making it difficult for a government agency alone to build the economic proposition that a Housing First initiative stacks up. Secondly, there are significant barriers to a reform, as with any reform, and to determining how to permanently integrate a Housing First model into existing systems. And thirdly, the shortage of social and affordable housing, which is obviously a key element to delivering a Housing First approach. SVA's involvement with the Housing First approach stems from the Aspire Social Impact Bond, which SVA launched in 2017 to make a lasting difference to the lives of people experiencing chronic homelessness in Adelaide. The Social Impact Bond funds the Aspire program, which provides long-term case management support grounded on a Housing First approach. Aspire is delivered by an Adelaide-based homelessness spe- services specialist, Hutt Street Centre, in partnership with public and community housing providers. Since inception, almost 600 people have been enrolled in the program and have been supported for up to three years. The program has recently been independently evaluated, highlighting the positive outcomes it has generated and the key factors underpinning the Aspire Social Impact Bond's success. So, about Housing First. Housing First is an approach to housing and supporting people experiencing chronic homelessness. Programs adopting Housing First approaches typically include intensive case management and specialised supports alongside permanent housing. Housing First is an approach that has been relatively well known and understood for some time, with the approach first being recognised in the USA in the 1990s 
and many advocates in Australia calling for its adoption since the late 2000s. A set of housing first principles for Australia have been developed to support the adoption of the model across the country, which include, number one, people have a right to a home. Number two, housing and support are separated. Number three, flexible for support for as long as it's needed. Number four, choice and self-determination. Number five, active engagement without coercion. And finally, number six, social and community inclusion. Over the past 15 years, the prevalence of programs adopting housing first principles has grown in Australia. These include Sacred Heart Mission's Journey to Social Inclusion program, also known as J2SI, Mission Australia's Mission Project, various common grounds across Australia, as well as the Aspire program. These programs all support slightly different cohorts and deliver services in slightly different ways, but they share housing first DNA. There are other similar programs across Australia which are not explored in this audio. Despite each of these programs being time-limited and relatively small-scale projects, most have been evaluated, leading to a welcome growth in the evidence base underpinning housing-first approaches in the domestic context. The adoption of the model under a number of social impact bonds, both domestically and overseas, such as the Aspire Social Impact Bond and the Denver Supported Housing Social Impact Bond Initiative in Colorado, USA, has helped to create robust and publicly accessible outcome data. Evaluations of programs adopting housing first approaches have consistently demonstrated the success of the, model, of the model for people experiencing chronic homelessness and for governments. This includes high program engagement, relatively high housing placement rates, high housing retention rates, improvements in wellbeing, high engagement with employment and the community, and reductions in health, justice and homelessness service use. I will showcase a sample of outcomes achieved by various Housing First programs. It should be noted that each program utilises different outcome metric definitions, counterfactual baseline methodologies, data sources, measurement periods and calculation approaches. As an example of some of these results, as far as housing outcomes, in the Aspire Social Impact Bond, 78% of its cohort has been housed, 86% of the tenancies have been maintained and there has been a 65% reduction in emergency accommodation periods. In Sacred Heart Mission's J2SI program, 83% of participants were in stable housing at the end of their service delivery period of three years. In the Denver Supported Housing Social Impact Bond, 79% of its cohort were housed, 77% of living participants remained in housing after three years, with a 40% reduction in shelter visits. The justice outcomes include the Aspire Social Impact Bond, a 37% reduction in convictions. Mission's Mission Program had an 85% reduction in nights spent in prison. The health outcomes of the J2SI program was a 47% reduction in hospital bed days. And for the Brisbane Common Ground, there was 5% reduction in admitted patient bed days, 65% reduction in mental health episodes, and 8% reduction in emergency department presentations. And the government savings. With the Aspire Social Impact Bond, savings were projected to be at $72,000 per person, which includes health, justice, and homelessness service savings. With the J2SI program, actual government savings were estimated to be around $32,000 per person, which includes health and justice service savings. So why does the Housing First model work? 
As highlighted by the Aspire Social Impact Bond evaluation, three fundamental, yet quite straightforward, factors underlie the success of housing first models, which are one, access to housing, two, the duration of supports provided, and three, the intensity of supports. Firstly, access to housing. The capacity to help individuals secure and maintain permanent housing is intentionally factored into the program design. As we know, housing provides the platform for life changes and improvements in health and well-being. Although housing is fundamental to a housing first model, it can also be a limiting factor as sourcing housing may not be entirely within the control of the organisation delivering the program. Aspire relied on a combination of public and community housing allocations for participants, which prevented a rapid rehousing approach, but has successfully secured long-term housing for 78% of all individuals enrolled. Capacity to match individuals to appropriate housing and a focus on providing individuals with choice of location and property where possible increases the likelihood that an individual maintains their tenancy. Secondly, the length of support provided. Support to help an individual meet their needs, aspirations and goals is provided for an extended period of time. This accommodates individuals' non-linear nature of recovery pathways and variation engagement with the program over time and also recognises that complex challenges take time to address. Support is provided for up to three years in the case of the Aspire program, with the most critical period usually being the first 12 months. After this, and particularly once housed, individuals' reliance on support gradually reduces. It is important that individuals know that the support is available to them, whether they experience a setback or success. Not all individuals require the full three years of support, some may require longer, lighter touch support. As one of the Aspire participants said, knowing that you've got support for three years makes a major difference. I can't stress it enough. How comfortable they make you feel, it's a whole non-judgmental thing. Aspire has helped me gain the confidence to tell the truth. I can be honest with people. The third factor is the intensity of supports. Enabled by low caseloads, intensive supports are offered to individuals with complex needs. Caseworkers are able to dedicate considerable time and energy to individuals and tailor their support to their specific goals and needs of each individual, enabling development of deep, long-term relationships. This builds trust, respect, makes individuals feel genuinely cared for and allows caseworkers to be relentless with their approach and tailor it to individuals' needs. The target caseload ratio for Aspire was one caseworker to every 15 participants, much lower in the first year and higher in the third, with engagement navigators providing support to help participation in community activities, training and employment opportunities. Similarly, the J2SI program targets caseloads of six in the first year and second years of support and 10 in the third year, and the Denver Supported Housing Social Impact Bond caseload was around 13 on average. Another Aspire participant said, they went above and beyond for me. Without them, I wouldn't be here at all. They've been absolutely invaluable to my mental health, my emotional health, and my stability in the house. So why isn't this approach embedded within the policy and service delivery landscape? Although the case for the housing first approach is evident and there is an unmet need, there are several barriers to government funding and the sector adopting this model more broadly across Australia. It should be noted that some of these challenges are not unique to the housing first approach. There are many support models with a strong evidence base 
facing similar challenges and moving from pilot to policy. The first challenge is the disconnect between the costs and the benefits. The effects of homelessness pervade multiple government agencies, including health, justice, housing, child protection and social services. While homelessness services are typically funded by housing or community service agencies, evaluations demonstrate that the greatest proportion of benefits accrue to health and justice agencies. Over the four years to June 2021, the Aspire program generated savings of $13.4 million for the South Australian Government, of which 51% related to health services, 40% to justice services, and 9% to homelessness services. There is a clear misalignment between the cost centres and the savings centres for homelessness services, making it difficult for a government agency alone to build the economic proposition that a Housing First initiative stacks up. This misalignment is particularly challenging as relative to the crisis care orientated model that is prevalent in the system. Housing First programs are expensive due to the success factors identified previously, long-term support, skilled and deeply passionate staff with low caseload and dedicated housing. For example, with the Aspire Social Impact Bond, the cost to deliver the intensive case management support over three years is around $18,000 per person. This does not take into account the average cost of providing social housing. Similarly, with J2SI, the cost to deliver the intensive case management support, excluding the provision of housing over three years was $64,000 per person. And with Mission, the cost of support, again excluding the provision of housing, was $28,000 per client over two years. In the absence of readily accessible comparative savings figures, and despite the social benefit to the individual and community, support of this nature can appear costly rather than good value. The second challenge to the adoption of the Housing First approach is the complexity of reforming the homelessness services system. Existing homelessness service systems are complex encompassing a broad range of services, providers and funding models. In FY 2020 alone, the Victorian Government spent $333 million on homelessness services across 635 providers, and the New South Wales Government spent $259 million across 335 providers. Systems of this scale are very difficult to reform because, one, Systems with large numbers of providers and services are built on efficiency with highly standardised procurement processes, contracts and pricing. Any changes create bespoke processes in arrangement, reducing the level of standardisation and potentially compromising efficiency. Two, existing providers have built their business models and services around existing homelessness services funding. Any changes to the system means disrupting these providers and their established funding lines. Three, there are limited incentives in the system to innovate, do things better, and go through the pain of changing. Any change has an associated transition cost that comes with it. Four, procurement cycles are long and rigid, preventing continuous improvement through the adoption of new practices as new evidence comes to light. Any change must wait until the next procurement cycle. And five, Homelessness services systems assist many sub-cohorts within the broader population of people experiencing homelessness. Any change needs to ensure that there is a clear understanding of what interventions work for who and what doesn't work for who. These are significant barriers to reform in determining how to permanently integrate a housing-first model into existing systems. 
The suggested starting point for governments is to undertake the planning process incorporating the following steps. The first step is sizing the need, and in order to do that you need to have a clear understanding of the drivers of homelessness. The pathways into homelessness are complex and personally unique, but there are recurring causal themes. Homelessness often arises from a confluence of vulnerabilities and or events for individuals. These vulnerabilities and events can be characterised as system challenges, individual vulnerabilities and trigger events. System challenges include factors like lack of affordable housing, low levels of government support, poor economic conditions and lack of support services. Individual vulnerabilities include lack of educational attainment, unemployment and poverty, social isolation and mental or physical illness. And trigger events include things which can precipitate an individual becoming homeless, such as a family breakdown or family violence, an individual health or legal event, housing disruption or crisis, transition from care to independence, or leaving the prison system. While 116,000 people were estimated to be experiencing homelessness in Australia in 2016, not all of those 116 individuals required just a house, not all required a crisis response, and not all required three years of intensive case management support. Different groups within the homeless population have different needs requiring different service responses, although there is overlap. The Aspire evaluation indicated that it was an effective intervention for people with complex needs, notably mental health issues, disability and problematic drug and alcohol use, and or people experiencing chronic or recurring homelessness. Once the drivers are understood, then the government can size the cohort from within the broader homeless population who have a need which could be met through a housing first approach. The second step for governments is to decide how they will implement the housing first program. Options may include each with their own benefits and challenges. One, expanding specialist homelessness services to include funding for housing first approaches. Two, providing additional funding to community housing to partner and procure specialist homelessness services to either case management support to a targeted cohort of their clients. And three, a standalone program separate from business as usual homelessness services and community housing funding. With a broader rollout of the Housing First program, the following then needs to be considered. Firstly, sector transition. Most homelessness services providers are charities which do not have idle cash to fund the costs associated with any disruption to their business model and services. Funding needs to be made available to support service providers with the transition. Secondly, sector capability. As there is a limited number of providers who have delivered intensive housing first models, time is needed to implement the capabilities and capacity to deliver these services across the sector, from recruiting staff, training staff, and developing practice materials. Thirdly, client transition. Current arrangements largely fund relatively low intensity services for a high volume of clients. The creation of high intensity, long duration services should reduce the need for crisis support, but this would not occur immediately, requiring overlapping funding. New triage and referral pathways would also be required within the system to ensure individuals receive the type of support appropriate to their needs. And lastly, embedding core outcome metrics. Government and service providers need to agree on the right outcome metrics and performance targets to ensure that impact of the housing first model is demonstrated over time, 
ensuring that it survives procurement and political cycles. The third big challenge in governments adopting housing first is the shortage of social and affordable housing. The Aspire evaluation highlighted that the shortage of social housing and affordable private rentals is a key limitation to delivering the permanent housing element of the housing first model. Underinvestment in social housing in recent decades has been well documented, with the number of social housing households growing by 3% over the decade to 2020, while the Australian population grew by 15%. At the same time, demand for social housing has grown with the decline in housing affordability. The number of people on the social housing waitlist at the end of FY 2020 was 166,000, with around 63,000 being considered high needs. Without significant investment in new social housing stock, allocations rely largely on turnover in existing properties. Housing First programs have had to rely on a range of sources and methods for securing housing in the absence of new social housing stock. Each source has its own limitations in that it either prioritises one group over another or defers the challenge of securing long-term housing. These sources include agreement from community housing providers to prioritise housing in a particular cohort, priority allocation from the relevant social housing register, community housing providers headleasing properties from the private market, sourcing affordable private rentals for individuals, noting this option is considered suitable for only a small proportion of people who have experienced chronic homelessness. For some Housing First programs, the purchase or build of new housing stock has been possible. Common ground models that provide congregate or apartment-style affordable housing alongside tailored support services delivered on-site have generally secured funding for land purchase and construction or acquisition of stock, where a combination of Commonwealth Government state government, local government and private sources. So, where to next for Housing First? There is a clear evidence base for the highly supportive Housing First model. State and Territory governments have the opportunity to think through how to bring together funding across multiple government departments, including the Commonwealth Government, and embed the model within the service system. This should also include planning for and managing system disruption. Whatever path governments take, there remains a need to instill a rigorous outcomes measurement methodology within the programs as deployed in social impact bonds and other outcomes-based funding models, but without necessarily attaching payments to outcomes. This would ensure that the impact of the model is consistently demonstrated over time, creating resilience over the terms of budget cycles of government. Some of the barriers to system reform are not unique to Housing First, as there are many intervention models with a strong evidence base struggling to transition from pilot projects to policy. With access to permanent housing also being critical to the success of the Housing First model, a new National Housing and Homelessness Agreement needs to be negotiated, which commits the Commonwealth Government to significantly increasing the supply of social and affordable housing and increasing Commonwealth rent assistance rates. The recent Productivity Commission review of the National Housing and Homelessness Agreement also outlines other important changes. The Housing First model makes a demonstrable difference in people's lives and delivers benefits to government budgets. If governments adopt a whatever-it-takes approach to overcome the barriers to reform and the housing crisis, which we have seen as possible over the past few years, then Housing First can start the worthwhile journey from pilot to policy. 
To find out about any evaluations mentioned today, go to the article, Housing First, the challenges of moving from pilot to policy on the SBA quarterly website. Related podcasts and articles can be found on the SBA quarterly site, www.socialventures.com.au forward slash SVA hyphen quarterly forward slash. Thank you.